0: Today's passage is going to be Micah, chapter five, verses one to six, on page nine hundred thirty-three. Micah chapter five, verses one to six. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephatah, through you are small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And there will lie security, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And here will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. We will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders who will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders.
1: so much, Shakira. I'm conscious that it's never easy to read God's Word in a, in a language that's not your first, so well done. Good evening, everybody. Um, oh, it seems really bright up here tonight. Okay. Am I the only one thinking that it would have been a good thing to start the service at 6.15 tonight? That would have been <laughs> benefit of hindsight, hey? Who knew? Uh, well, if you can keep Micah uh, chapter 5 open, that'd be really helpful. And uh, let me pray as we come to look. Am I able to move this out of the way? I'm not being... Yep, I am. Thank you, Ed. That's great. Let's pray. Our Father, on a day when uh, many of our minds may have been occupied with uh, other things like football, we pray now, Lord, that you'd help us to pay proper attention to your word. I think, Lord Jesus, when you said that only one thing is needed, and Lord, this is the most important thing we can do in a day is listen to you speak from your word and so Lord meet with us we pray in these verses from uh, Micah's prophecy teach us your ways and uh, Lord lead us into this Christmas period uh, with a greater appreciation of the amazing prince of peace in the Lord Jesus name we pray amen Well, uh, tonight is uh, episode three in our box set for Advent on the theme of peace. But on first reading, uh, this passage from Micah may seem like a strange choice. I don't know if you noticed as it was read, but the text is dominated not so much by thoughts of peace, but rather by thoughts of war and unrest and violence. Just take a look with me if you've got the passage open on a device or in the Bible. Just verse one, marshal your troops now, city of troops for a siege is laid against us. That doesn't sound particularly peaceful, does it? Um, Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a besieged city? Our news bulletins this year have been uh, full of pictures showing the devastating result of a city like Mariupol, for example, being under continuous besiegement and bombardment. Peace, just a distant dream. Or look at the end of verse 1. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Again, that is not a peaceful scene. It's not one you'd want to find in your bumper box of uh, 100 Christmas cards from Poundland, is it really? Uh, you imagine, that, you know, you pick up one of the cards, it's got a violent assault in the foreground, and in the background, flying reindeer, twinkling stars, a dusting of snow. You'd kind of want a refund, wouldn't you? Uh, verse 3 speaks of Israel, God's very own people, being abandoned. Uh, in verse 5, we read that the Assyrians, the great superpower of Micah's day, invade our land and march through our fortresses. That's repeated in verse 6. The Assyrians invade our land and march across our borders. Remember, this is the promised land, God's land. Defenses are shattered. So where is the peace in this passage? Well, it is there, tucked away among all the troops, the siege, the violence, the abandonment, the invasion. Notice verse 5 begins with these words. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade. You see, right in the middle of all the turmoil and all the trouble, he will be our peace. And who is the he in view here? Well, of course, it's the one that Micah's prophecy and the whole of the Old Testament points forward to and speaks of, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Uh, Today, we uh, tend to think of peace as being the absence of war. And that's, of course, what many people are praying for in Ukraine, as we have this evening, in other places of conflict around the world. And in one sense, of course, that's right. But actually, Christian peace is somewhat different. Because you can experience Christian peace even if you're in the middle of a war zone, either literal or metaphorical. Or we might think of peace as that sort of fluffy, floaty, Friday feeling you get at the end of a long week as you stretch out on the sofa and binge on snacks and Netflix. Finally, peace at the end of a stressful week. But you know, true Christian peace is not actually an abstract feeling. It's rooted in and flows from a person, the Prince of Peace, the one who rules over peace. He will be our peace, says Micah. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, says the Prince of Peace, and I will give you rest. Peace is really a person. So you can experience Christian peace in the midst of apparent chaos. Even in times of personal turmoil, when your life maybe seems to be falling apart. Because the peace Jesus offers is firstly peace with God, the cessation of hostilities with our loving creator. And it is only really when we're at peace with him, the one who made us, that we can then begin to experience peace with others, with ourselves, with our surroundings. And that peace can be our consistent experience, whatever may be going on in our lives, in our family, at work, school, uni, in the wider world. So I've taken the slight liberty tonight and tweaked the title of this message to how to find peace in troubled times. And I want to stress this is not an impossible goal. Uh, The prophet Isaiah, who preached around about the same time as Micah, says this of God. It's Isaiah 26 verse 3. Listen to this. You will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is steadfast because they trust in you. Now I imagine that's a kind of peace we'd all like to know, wouldn't we? Peace that's for life, not just for Christmas. Now, of course, absolute, uninterrupted, 100% perfect peace will only be fully experienced in eternity. But if you trust in Jesus, the Prince of Peace, he can give you foretaste of that perfect peace in this world. And he will teach you how you can increasingly be kept in a state of peace, no matter what is going on in the world around you or whatever personal circumstances you may be facing Indeed, this is his promise in the New Testament to those who are anxious and who commit themselves to pray. Don't be anxious about anything, but present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Interesting, isn't it, that uh, peace there is described in, in the context of another military word, guard. Guard is a military term. So it's as if our minds can be surrounded by a whole battalion of peacekeeping troops as we pray that's the picture so i want to help us see in this passage three pointers to peace three signposts if you like that if we follow them will lead us along that road to perfect peace first submit to god's chosen king submit to god's chosen king now verse two is one of the most famous verses in micah's prophecy it's the christmas verse this is God speaking through his prophet. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, most of us are familiar with um, what is many people's favorite carol, I think, "O little town of Bethlehem. But our familiarity can fool us into thinking that this little town was really famous and significant back in the day. But no, as Micah says, it was small, among the clans. It wouldn't have been on many people's bucket lists of 100 top destinations to visit before you die. In fact, it doesn't even get a mention back in Joshua 15 when there's, a, there's an extensive list of key towns in this region of Judah. It doesn't get a mention. And yet, as God promises to raise up a ruler from Bethlehem, there is history here. Because you may remember somebody else who came from the insignificant Bethlehem around 300 years earlier a rather unremarkable shepherd boy called David, the youngest of Jesse's sons. When it came to choosing a king among uh, God's people, David wasn't even in the running. The most obscure town, the most unimportant family, the youngest son, not even in the army, but God chooses him to be king of his people. Now, I think this wouldn't have been lost on Micah's original listeners. They would be hearing echoes of the David story here out of significant little Bethlehem, God is going to do it all over again. But this time, he will raise up a ruler infinitely greater than David. Infinitely greater because God will not raise up merely a human king. Now, you notice, end of verse two, his origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, usually when I preach at a bar on a Sunday evening, compared to the average age of the congregation, I feel pretty old and ancient. But I think things have changed slightly this evening. We seem to be slightly older, I think. I can't imagine why. But actually, this is not really to do with age. This is the Bible's way of saying that this king is going to be eternal and divine. So over in the book of Daniel, Daniel has a vision where, he may remember, he sees the Ancient of Days sitting on a heavenly throne. So that's really the reference here. And so over in Matthew 2, where this verse from Micah is quoted, it seems strange, perhaps, that this prophecy is fulfilled through the birth of a baby. Even though that's exactly what Micah predicts in verse 3, she who is in labor bears a son. But a mere baby from the unimpressive little town of Bethlehem, one who grew up to be despised, rejected, finally crucified, this is God's chosen king to rule the whole world? Really? But our ways are not God's ways, you see. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God delights to choose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And the path to perfect peace begins when I become like a little child and submit to God's chosen king. Promised in Micah and who has now come. Yes, born as a baby, but as he grew up it was clear that he was king of kings and lord of lords. Now the problem in Micah's day is that God's people had rejected God's rule. They weren't submitting to God as king or worshipping him by obeying his laws and his commands. So they had lost their shalom, their sense of peace and well-being. In the earlier chapters, uh, Micah catalogs a whole host of ways in which God's own people, who should know better, have turned their backs on him. So in chapter 1, the focus is on idolatry. In chapter 2, Micah speaks of people lying on their beds at night, plotting to do evil, and then getting up the next day to carry it out. In chapter 3, even the leaders of God's people are graphically portrayed as cannibals. It's quite a a graphic reading if you look at chapter 3 later, in the sense that they're feeding off and exploiting God's sheep, rather than caring for them. The picture Micah paints is one of God's people not submitting to him at all which explains why they've lost their peace. They cover, they defraud, they rob people, they're involved in dodgy business practices, and more generally, they're neglecting the very things that their God is passionate about. Justice, mercy, humility. And so if you just turn over quickly to chapter six, uh, this is the focus of the other really famous verse in the book of Micah. I'm sure pretty much all of us will know this verse. Chapter six, verse eight. This is why in the context Micah says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I can see you now. All I could see was bright lights before. It's great. And I think I was right. Yeah, I think I was right about the age thing. Slightly older tonight. And in the same way, that's what God's chosen King, Jesus, requires of his followers today. With all Christ's energy working in us and flowing through us, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, we Christians are called to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with the Prince of Peace. And we're to do that not just on a Sunday, of course, but throughout the week, in every aspect of our lives, at work, in our families, out with friends. That's the road to knowing perfect peace. Well, I wonder, in this season of peace, have you made your peace with God? Or more accurately, have you received the peace that he freely offers to those who submit to Jesus, his chosen king, the prince of peace? It means allowing Jesus to sit in the driving seat of your heart and allowing him to run every aspect of your life. That is the only road to enjoying perfect, lasting peace. And if you already know that this evening, but perhaps you've left the path for whatever reason, or well, why not return tonight to the Prince of Peace? He will welcome you with open arms. Submit to God's chosen king. Then the second signpost of peace is, is in verse 4. Follow God's chosen shepherd. Follow God's chosen shepherd. Look with me at, at verse 4. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And here we start to see what kind of ruler Jesus is. Yes, there's great strength and majesty, you notice. He's all powerful. So he commands the wind and the waves. He brings the dead back to life. He exercises complete dominion over evil spirits, commands them to come out of people. But he's not a terrifying dictator. His leadership is not oppressive or controlling. Now, notice it's marked out by what many long for today in our leaders humility and integrity. He's the good shepherd of Psalm 23 sent by his Father to seek and to save that which is lost, to gather up all of God's lost sheep, to make us lie down in green pastures, to lead us and guide us beside quiet waters, to restore and refresh our souls. And at the end of life, he will tenderly lead every sheep through the valley of the shadow of death into, to find unimaginable rest, unimaginable blessings at God's right hand. And look at that great promise at the end of verse 4, and they will live securely. Again, that's a promise of peace, isn't it? When does a baby or a toddler feel most secure? Well, usually when they're held tightly in mum or dad's arms. And when there are tears and screaming, do you notice usually nobody else will do. They want the security of the one who loves them the most. Uh, I learned this is a, a young uh, minister doing baby dedications on Sunday mornings. Uh, Normally, the child will be totally peaceful and angelic until the very point when the mother hands him to the pastor or her to the pastor, and then it usually all kicks off, including one occasion when I had a splurge of sick down my brand-new suit jacket, which was not very pleasant. But as soon as they left the security of mum, well, peace was lost. And in a similar way, if we leave the loving, protective arms of the good shepherd, We wander from the path of peace to pursue security and satisfaction elsewhere. Well, that's usually when it all kicks off. Before long, peace is shattered. I know that because I've had several periods of wandering in my now 30 years of Christian faith. Times when although the psalmist says the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, well, I think I know better. So I decide to push those boundaries, sometimes jump right over them you know, brothers and sisters, through those times of wandering and losing my peace, I've come to experience the wonders and the tenderness and the mercy of the good shepherd. The one who, when he spots a sheep going astray, releases his two trusted and faithful sheepdogs, goodness and love, to pursue the wanderer, to bring them back into the fold. Because he doesn't want his people to lose our peace. He doesn't want us to lose that sense of security and well-being. We're his treasured possession the apple of his eye, we're his beloved. So can I just give a gentle word to the wanderer tonight, from one who knows what it is to wander, to the one seeking peace, security, satisfaction elsewhere, wherever that may be, and it may be all kinds of different places for different ones of us here this evening. But wherever it is that you're putting your hope, seeking peace, seeking security, seeking satisfaction, if it's not actually, ultimately, in the Prince of Peace, well, it's not going to work. You're going to lose peace, not find it. Whatever or whoever it is that you may be looking to, seeking peace, seeking security, it cannot and will not bring you the lasting peace that you long for. It cannot quench your thirst. Jesus needs to be number one in our lives. He needs to be the one that satisfies that very deepest part of us that actually nobody else can fully satisfy. So won't you return to the Good Shepherd? the one who's proven his absolute love for you by laying down his very life for you. Follow him with all your heart because he alone can bring you true, lasting peace. Satisfaction that's not dependent on anything or anyone else. This good shepherd, Jesus, promises that whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Submit to God's chosen king. Follow God's chosen shepherd. And then finally, trust in God's chosen rescuer. Trust in God's chosen rescuer. Uh, every good shepherd knows how to rescue his sheep. Indeed, we thought about King David earlier. And you may remember an occasion when Saul, who was currently king, interviewed him for the job of fighting Goliath, the great uh, giant Philistine warrior. And he asked David about his qualifications and experience. And this was what was on David's CV. Uh, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Guess what? He got the job. And what do God's sheep need when we fail to submit to him? And it's led to disaster. Or when we've wandered from that path of peace and we've ended up in a whole heap of trouble. When perhaps we've we've been drawn into addictions of all kinds. When the foundations of our false peace get, just collapse like a house of cards. What about those of us here who maybe never even started on the path to peace? But you recognize this evening that you feel trapped. Hopeless. You're desperately longing to be free. You don't get this talk of peace that there is at Christmas time. What do we need? We need a rescuer. And that is exactly what Micah promises in the middle of verse 6. He will deliver us or rescue us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. And this happened, you know, in history. You can read all about it in 2 Kings chapter 19. And I want to encourage you to do that because it is actually a mind-blowing account of the length that God is willing to go to in order to rescue his people. But I can sense that some of you might prefer the TikTok version. So here it is. Zennacherib, king of the Assyrians, threatens God's people with total destruction. Unless they submit to his demands. He ridicules and mocks them for trusting that their God is going to save them. Blasphemes the Holy One of Israel. Laughs in the face of God. And he puts all of this in a kind of threatening, intimidating, terrifying letter to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Hezekiah, he does exactly the right thing. He takes the letter, he spreads it out before the Lord, and he prays. And in response, God sends one of Micah's contemporaries, the prophet Isaiah, to say to King Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer concerning Zanacharib, king of Assyria. And if you do read 2 Kings 19, you'll you'll see he issues a lengthy, stinging rebuke to Zanacharib for daring to ridicule the Lord and to threaten his people. And God concludes by saying this, I will defend this city and save it. And then in a very somber note, 2 Kings 19 verse 35 tells us this. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. You see, you don't mess with God's treasured possession. You don't threaten the apple of his eye because the Lord knows how to rescue his people. He has all possible means. Indeed, he has all impossible means at his disposal. And if he can rescue a besieged city by wiping out pretty much a whole army, do you really think he doesn't know how to rescue you from whatever might be enslaving you or controlling you or threatening you or from any temptation, test, or fiery trial that you may be facing? You may think it's mission impossible But with our Rescuer King, there is no such thing. Remember, he's done the hardest thing of all by defeating our three great enemies of sin, death, and Satan. On the cross, Jesus achieved the mother of all victories, the power of sin to destroy believers nullified, death defeated, Satan and his demons fatally wounded, and now destined for eternal destruction. And you know, the Prince of Peace can do Mission Impossible sequels when required to. He's done that in my life. Not repeating his once for all death on the cross, of course, but rescuing his followers again when we're slow to learn, when we fail to follow him, when we fall into temptation and sin. Uh, Where are we up to in the Mission Impossible franchise? I think it's six, with Mission Impossible seven to come in 2023. I don't know about you, but I can't help wondering how long Tom Cruise can keep going for. Didn't he break an ankle or something, I think, when filming the last one? But, you know, with our Prince of Peace, the ruler whose origins are from old, ancient times, he is not constrained by increasing frailty of age. He will go on rescuing the foolish sheep who wander away from the flock. He will go on actively working for your good and for mine if you're trusting in his chosen rescuer. Always wants to encourage us, urge us to submit to him, to follow him to trust him. He will do everything that is needed to bring us safely to eternity and perfect shalom. As we close, please just turn over to the end of Micah chapter 7. I want us to see what God does with all our past sin and rebellion. If you come here this evening and for whatever reason you just feel weighed down with guilt because you know you've let God down, whatever it may be, listen to what uh, Micah says. Uh, We're going to read from verse uh, 18. By the way, Micah's Hebrew name means who is like God. And so uh, the beginning of uh, chapter 7 verse 18 is actually a play on his name. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Brothers and sisters, who is a God like that? Do you know another one? I certainly don't. If you're trusting in God's chosen ruler, shepherd, rescuer, king, be assured this evening that you are in the safe and secure grip of the one who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And if you haven't yet trusted in him, please do it. Like the Nike advert says, just do it. Put your trust in him. You will not be disappointed. And if you do that, he will have compassion on you. He will tread your sins underfoot, all of them. Hurl everything that weighs you down with guilt and shame into the depths of the sea. And he will lead you along the road to eternal, everlasting peace that surpasses your greatest hopes and is infinitely beyond your very wildest dreams. The promise of perfect peace in a troubled world is held out to you this evening by the Prince of Peace. Micah 5 is signposting you to him. The whole Bible is about him. Why not be like the wise psalmist who says this? I will listen to what the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly.